Welcome, everyone, to the Superpowers for Good Show. I'm your host, Devin Thorpe, and we have a great guest today. We've got with us Brian Belay. Brian and I are old friends and uh, work together as colleagues on the uh, Crowdfunding Professional Association Board, where he serves as the treasurer. Uh, he's an extraordinary human being, vice president at uh, King's Crowd, where he works, having had his startup, uh, Crowdwise, acquired by King's Crowd. Uh, so we are really fortunate. The key thing to know about uh, Brian Belay, besides the fact that he's an amazingly good human being, is that he is uh, an angel investor who has made over 200 investments via crowdfunding portals. So this is uh, an extraordinary conversation. Uh, you do not want to miss this one. Uh, Brian, welcome to the show. We're thrilled to have you. Thanks, Devin. Really looking forward to our conversation. Well, uh, we're thrilled to have you. Listen. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, the Crowdwise story and the acquisition by King's Crowd. That's kind of an exciting thing to go through. Absolutely. So Crowdwise started really the genesis, you know, probably goes back to 2016 when I was just getting into this space and actually even a little bit before that. So I made my first investment uh, in kind of this alternative online space through basically Fundrise, which is a company that does kind of real estate. And they were doing what they called at their time, their internet public offering, which I now know was a regulation, a reg a offering and one of the first successful ones. That was what really introduced me to kind of this whole online startup investing, small business investing ecosystem. And I kept my eyes on it for a while, but it was around 2018 where I actually decided to make a career pivot. So prior decade of my life, I was actually an aerospace engineer, uh, formerly trained as an aerospace engineer. And I saw a huge opportunity because I loved investing in companies. It was kind of what I did on nights and on weekends, but I noticed there was a real lack of just educational material and just a lack of information to be able to help someone who wants to come in from maybe being familiar with the public markets, but learn how to invest in these small businesses and companies. So with that, uh, around 2019, I founded Crowdwise, and the main mission at the time was to provide education, tools, and just general services and courses to be able to help all the new investors that were coming into this new industry. Uh, so over a couple of years, you know, I built that and was getting a, a really good following, had a lot of education and a lot of content that was helpful. And then in 2021, um, was approached by one of the companies that actually was one of my crowdfunding investments, King's Crowd, to see if there was a potential opportunity to combine our forces. And so I decided to join the King's Crowd family. So Crowdwise was acquired by King's Crowd. And I basically came on the King's Crowd team to help build their product and provide more of these services and tools for investors in this industry. So that's what I serve as today is the head of product, the vice president of product at King's Crowd. And we really just try and help investors as well as founders and platforms and all the other industry stakeholders to serve them through all the data that we get. And we aggregate across all of the you know 85 plus kind of online funding portals and broker dealers. And then be able to help people make informed decisions based on all that data set. Well, <clears throat> it is really cool work that you're doing at King's Crowd. I, I love King's Crowd as a tool. I There's almost not a day that I don't use it for something. Uh, it, it really is a powerful, powerful website. But, uh, you know, it, it, it provides, uh, you know, portfolio tracking, which is really cool. So you can get uh, a valuation estimate for all of your 
crowdfunding portfolio holdings. That's a cool feature. Plus the search tool for finding new deals uh, to invest in is un, unmatched, uh, unrivaled really in my my experience looking on the internet. Uh, so I'm, I'm there all the time, grateful for it. Um, I wanna talk though, I wanted to really drill down Brian, on your investment portfolio. We don't need to get into the nuances of what you own, but I want to get into uh, a little bit of uh, the process. Tell us a little bit. And I need to, I want to just brag here and thank you at the same time. Uh, I'm I'm honored that, Brian, you're an investor in uh, the Super Crowd Inc., the little company that I run that uh, organizes events in the crowdfunding space. And I'm thrilled to have you, but uh, thank you for making that investment. Tell us a little bit about your process. How do you uh, screen, look for, find deals? Yeah. And, you know, for for anyone getting started, I think that's one of the great things and opportunities of this industry is that you don't have to start big and write a big check. You can start really small and learn along the way. And so what I've really done is tried to design my investment process so that it it has evolved over time so that I can collect feedback, see how my investments are doing, which ones are succeeding, which ones are failing, and then adjust course and kind of change direction based on that. So how do I kind of, you know, screen deals and find deals? Uh, you know, all of these companies have to make their disclosures online when they're using either regulation crowdfunding, Reg CF, or Regulation A, Reg A. Um, and anyone can invest in these deals. So whether you're a non-accredited uh, investor, which basically means, you know, you kind of make less than $200,000 a year, um, or if you're an accredited investor, they are also still welcome to invest in all of these deals. But the way you find them, right, is you first need to go onto one of these platforms and you can either look at the deals on the platforms themselves, or that's where things like King's Crowd, which is a tool that basically takes all of the deals available on all the platforms and brings them to one place, then you got to apply your filter, right? So the first thing that I kind of think of in my process is like that top of funnel. What are all the deals that are going to go into my due diligence funnel to be able to basically give me the initial screen, right? Like what are those? So with that, usually an investor will have some type of investment thesis, or it could just be something that catches your eye, um, a deal that's interesting. Uh, a lot of investors, you know, are saying they want to invest in deals that have you know, really good social impact or have positive environmental impact or going to you know, make the world a better place. Um, other investors might be purely financially motivated. Um, myself, I kind of fall somewhere in between, right, where there's definitely the financial aspect to it, but it always helps as well to be able to invest in those companies that you can really feel good about when you're supporting them and the founders. So once you've found the deal, that's kind of step one in the process. Uh, step two is now saying like, okay, let's evaluate this deal. How do we actually see, you know, is this a good opportunity? Uh, Does it align with my thesis and kind of my investment criteria? And then do I think it's a good investment opportunity, right? If I'm in it for the financial reasons, does it check some of the boxes? So some of the things that we look at in terms of, you know, checking the boxes, so to speak, are things like the price. So, you know, the valuation or uh, the revenue payback or the debt interest rate, like that's obviously something important for financial investors. There's the potential market. So especially for equity-based deals you know, and safes and convertible notes, what's kind of the biggest potential? If everything goes right, right, trying to be a glass half full kind of perspective to this, but if everything goes right, how big can this opportunity be? Um, oftentimes, you know, as an investor, it may be easy to shoot things down and say, well, well, this could go wrong and they have this issue and this issue. But, you know, the really big successes in a lot of, you know, early stage and kind of private startups and companies 
come from when everything goes right. You know, they're able to kind of go against all odds and surpass, you know, all those insurmountable challenges and come out on the other side. So that's where market is really important because um, you can just think if, you know, sort of the biggest potential win for them is a small market versus a huge market, there's a lot more upside for the latter. Uh, in addition to that, the team is something that's really, really critical for a lot of people and something that I personally do look at as part of my process. Now, evaluating the team in a lot of these online platforms can be a little bit tricky, right? Because you don't necessarily get to meet the founder, you know, or the CEO face to face to be able to ask them questions. That's where you can do a lot of online research, right? Just kind of typical Googling, but also looking at LinkedIn, past experiences. Uh, you actually learn a lot from the campaign pages where there's the Q&A with the founders between potential investors and the founders. That's where oftentimes you can kind of see, you know, the true colors of how a founder responds, how clear they are in getting their message across. Um, you know, how do they deal with tough questions? Sometimes investors are not always asking, you know, easy softball questions. And do they get upset and kind of dismiss it or, you know, make it uh, a little bit easier? So those are all the things and kind of around the team. And that's, again, where services like King's Crowd and, you know, others like that can take basically their own due diligence where they can have the one-on-one -on -one conversation with the founder, ask those, you know, kind of insightful questions, and then relay the findings of that to a much broader audience, which makes it a more scalable thing rather than that founder, you know, they can't meet with every single investor. Um, so those are some of the big ones. And then other things like, you know, performance um, and differentiators in the product. But, you know, those are all the kind of different things. And of course, deal terms are one of the most important. So I always remind all investors in this, you know, these, these are very risky investments. You don't want to invest money that you can't afford to lose and that, you know, you don't expect to see for at least five to 10 years. But all that being said, you know, if everything works out, the hope is that you can build a diversified portfolio of, you know, all these different investments. And personally, I'm industry agnostic. There are investors out there who might say like, I'm just going to invest in, you know, web three companies or AI or whatever, you know, I don't want to say the buzzword of the day is, but you know, whatever the trend is that someone's interested in, um, I look and try and diversify across all of that. And then this is a small part of my overall portfolio, which also has, you know, public market equities and ETFs and that type of thing. So kind of my high level strategy. Well, it's a, it's a fascinating strategy, Brian. And, and, uh, I'm intrigued. Um, you talk about deal terms. Uh, I want to drill down on that just a little bit uh, you know, on two areas. Uh, do you avoid, uh, include, or uh, focus on debt deals? Uh, I see that there are some really compelling offerings uh, on the debt side, in, in my view. Uh, and I don't want to overemphasize that, but I'm curious about you. Uh, you've made a lot of investments. Do you avoid those because the that return is limited or do you target them or just include them occasionally? So personally, I'm more on the include occasionally side of things. So again, going towards if my goal as an investor for me, Brian, is to build a diversified portfolio, it helps to have diversified assets within that portfolio, not only among industries, but among the security types, right? So Debt deals may be more beneficial for investors who are looking to get, you know, some of that more steady, predictable income in the near term, but it maybe has the lower upside potential, right? So where startups are going to be a much higher failure rate, you know, if there's one or two really successful, they call them unicorns, right? Companies that maybe end up being worth a billion plus in valuation after you invested in a really early round, that can be a huge financial outcome. Um, so there's definitely a portion of my portfolio, which is probably the larger portion that is going after that. But there is also that part of the portfolio that is called a little bit more conservative, but also just diversified, focusing on these debt offerings. 
Now, the other thing to be aware of, right, is as the general macroeconomic environment is changing, uh, so we've seen, you know, interest rates go up from, you know, 0% pretty much to over 5%, you know, when the Fed has raised the rates recently. What that means is that uh, there's a lot more opportunity costs and a lot more other opportunities for investors to get yield in other places that they couldn't prior get, right? So whereas savings accounts maybe two or three years ago were paying, you know, almost nil or maybe a quarter of a percent, you can get four and a half, five percent on just a totally safe savings account now. And so what happens is that the debt deals and the equity deals have to compete with that, right? And so what we may have seen in some of the recent times is that some of those debt deals may have actually increased their interest rates to make them more attractive when comparing to those, you know, let's call them safer assets or kind of like guaranteed, you know, savings account rates. So yeah, I, I agree with you, Devin. You know, I think that it's definitely a dynamic environment and things are always changing, but um, there are debt deals that are out there that are very interesting. And then personally, you know, I look at those as a small portion of my portfolio, but I do include them as well. That is fascinating. Fascinating. And I really appreciate you sharing those insights. I just want to talk and talk and talk and drill down on all of this, but we need to just pause now for a minute. Uh, I, I really, um, you know, we're here with Brian Belay, uh, who is uh, an executive at King's Crowd, one of the companies that tracks and follows crowdfunding deals. But he's personally made over 200 angel investments in startups via crowdfunding platforms. Uh, he's this is an extraordinary conversation. You don't want to miss the rest of what we'll be talking when we come back with Brian about his superpowers. But we're going to pause now for a uh, short uh, some messages. Want to learn from the world's great change makers? Find your superpower. Subscribe to the Superpowers for Good newsletter at superpowersforgood.com. Make your strengths into superpowers that will change the world. Join the super crowd today. Superpowers number four, good.com. Want to learn from the world's great change makers? Hi, I'm Julianne Meyer, the host of Own Your Wellness, and you can watch my show on Mondays and Thursdays from 4 to 5 p.m. Pacific on Achieve TV right here on E360 TV. Remember, there's more to health and wellness than broccoli and burpees. Learn how to make money with your crowdfund investing at the September Super Crowd Hour webinar. Drawing on decades of finance experience, I'll teach you how to make money, not just a difference. You will increase your impact by increasing your financial returns. Register today at thesupercrowd.com. Welcome back, everyone. Great to have you here. Uh, we are so excited that we have with us today Brian Belay. He is an executive at uh, King's Crowd, a company that uh, does a brilliant job of tracking uh, the activity in the crowdfunding world, including uh, financial returns, et cetera, et cetera. But Brian uh, has made personally over 200 investments in the crowdfunding space. And as we return to our conversation with Brian, we're going to talk to him about his superpower. Uh, Brian, you've accomplished so much. Uh, you've done so much good in the world. Uh, you know, um, I, I've worked with you on the Crowdfunding Professional Association board now for what about five years, and as in, in that time, I have seen you uh, really contribute in high-value, strategic ways. I know, I know you are a deep thinker. You're super accomplished. Started a business and sold it. Uh, you, you're playing a, a key role at King's Crowd now. What do you see as your superpower? I really appreciate all those kind words, Devin. And 
know, reflecting on this question, I was trying to think, what patterns have I seen in myself, you know, over the years that would indicate something towards a superpower of my own? Because to be honest, you know, a little bit humble, I, I don't like saying, you know, I have a certain superpower or something else. But thinking back on a few examples, I think that I have the superpower of thinking long-term and perhaps, you know, making some trade-offs sometimes that to some people may seem like a sacrifice or a trade-off in the near term, but end up being something for the longer term. So I can give you a few examples of, you know, some different ways that that has manifested itself. Actually a funny story. So, you know, when I was seven years old, um, and this honestly went on for a few years, most kids around that age, right? You're asking for toys or skateboards, stuff to be outside, play with your friends, that type of thing. I actually asked for several kind of Christmases and birthdays in a row to receive savings bonds. That's all I wanted from my family, from my friends, was uh, to give me savings bonds for you know every every holiday, every birthday. And it's funny because looking back on it now, I can see the parallels in kind of my thinking and towards you know my interest in investing and kind of that building that long term value in things of that delayed gratification, right? Where you make an investment today. Uh, but then because of the snowball effect and just small compounding over time, it can become something much bigger. And, uh, you know, it's so th there's actually this I make this funny story as well. So, you know, there was a study done in the 60s about marshmallows that you know, if the listeners here may be aware of where basically some researchers brought a four and a five year olds, you know, into this room and said, here's this marshmallow on a table. I'm going to go away for 15 minutes. If you don't eat that marshmallow, when I come back in 15 minutes, I'll give you two. And basically what they were could look at and predict was whether or not that child decided to eat that marshmallow versus waiting for the two could predict kind of, you know, future success to some degree in terms of being able to delay gratification. So I joke, like if I was that child now, you know, think back on it, I probably would have waited until the researcher came back in the room and said, I'll give you a deal. How about you don't even give me the second marshmallow, but I come back next week and you give me four or six. Um, <laughs> it's just something that, you know, I've seen play out throughout my own character and just my own interests, you know, in so many different ways. And another way it actually happened and manifest itself was really in one of my big decisions in 2018, actually right before founding Crowdwise, I decided to leave that aerospace job, very cushy, very comfy job that I loved, honestly, and I love working with the people, um, but decided to leave it for a year and actually take a one-year sabbatical. Really, I kind of put my whole life on hold. I pressed pause just because I think I wanted to just explore more about myself and my interests. And, you know, it was through that process that really brought me to where I was at uh, with Crowdwise and then with crowdfunding today, where I'm really living out my passion. So um, I guess that's a, a quick story or two quick anecdotes about, you know, why I think my long-term thinking kind of that mindset is, you know, perhaps my superpower. Well, I think that is a, an extraordinary superpower. It really is. Uh, and, you know, the, the studies have kind of confirmed that you talk about the marshmallow study, but it does it, it the the uh, follow up on those folks showed that the kids that waited for the extra marshmallow did better. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not sure I'd have waited. <laughs> so <laughs> it's an important lesson I can learn from you. Um, in, in fact, let's talk a little bit about that. Brian, you gave us some great examples of how you have used that skill and the impact that it's had. But if, if you were coaching someone to build that strength um, consciously. And I think all of us can. Even I could take a longer-term view. I could be more patient. I could be more deliberate. Uh, but how would you coach me to develop that skill and the others that are listening and watching? Absolutely. The way I think about it is 
when you look at today's society, right? So much of just day-to-day life is so much about urgency, right? Like how can I optimize my day and my schedule? I want to get every ounce of productivity out of every waking hour that I have. And, um, you know, people have very busy lives, so it's understandable. You want to you know, get the most out of your professional life, but then you also have your family and your relationships, which are critical, right? Very important. And what I've tried to reflect on and think of myself and to going back to your question, what I would you know think to coach someone on is like, it's okay to slow down. It's okay sometimes to, you know, that stereotypical, the person in their office with, you know, the feet up on the chair on the desk might look like they're slacking off. Um, but sometimes that's where the creativity, it's where the good ideas, it's where you can find your meaning. And, you know, going back to my example, when I took a one-year sabbatical in 2018, you know, before that, I just hadn't even had more than a week of vacation at a time to kind of like think about where things were in my life and what my priorities were. And by being able to just slow down life, um, you know, I don't want to say it's again, this rat race kind of mentality, but and it is in certain ways. And so I think it's, it's okay to slow down. It's okay to do things that may look unproductive or may look slow, but I think in the long term have more payoff, have more benefits because, you can just think of that example, right? If, if you're in an airplane leaving, say, Los Angeles um, and you're heading to New York, if you're off just a small little bit in that initial direction, you're going to end up in Florida instead of New York, right? So like really small course adjustments can have an outsized impact over time. And that's where, you know, rather than trying to just get the most out of every day and always go, go, go and be productive, I think it's a real benefit for people to slow down, reflect, and then consciously say like, you know, is my compass aligned to where I really think, you know, I should be going? Um, Because you'll have more of an impact that way. You'll be able to focus more of your energy. You'll be focusing on the right thing. And I think that's really crucial. It it is a, a, a crucial thing. I think that's a really profound insight, this idea of a course correction, of course, coming from you as an aerospace engineer, that's, (laughs) that's meaningful. Um, I want to drill down on that a little bit and, you know, obviously you've really honed this ability. I think to some degree, it's a conscious thing you do. It isn't just an innate ability. It's become something you recognize as a skill and, and, and try to implement consciously. Is there a measurement technique you're using that you would recommend? So for, in terms of tracking progress to make sure you're, you're on the the line you drew with that compass. It's a good question. I I am one who you know sets annual goals. I don't go over the top crazy and you know look at things every single week or every thing, single month. But um, you know, keeping that higher level objective and goal in mind and making sure that things are remaining balanced. So you know, as we've kind of discussed and been alluding to, there's not only your professional goals and professional life, but you have your family and your relationships, you have your health and wellness, which is obviously crucial. Nothing else works, right? Or is worth it or can even happen if you don't have your health um, and your wellness. So it's, it's maintaining that balance between all of these things that I try and think about. Um, Is there a metric that I use for these things? Not necessarily, but I do try and do say semi-annual reflections, right? And say, am I on course? You know, okay, this is kind of, you know, where I was over the last year. Uh, Is this where I thought I would end up right now? And if I'm not getting the results that I thought I would get, you know, what do I need to do to do that course correction, that course adjustment? So I try and set small goals in each of these areas. Um, 
you know, I think a lot of times too, we try and be very deliberate and say, well, I'm going to do this thing and it's going to have this outcome. And then I'm going to do this thing. It's going to have this outcome, but going back to kind of hitting pause and finding insights and ideas where you might not expect them. That's where I think things like volunteering for nonprofits, um, honestly, some of the connections, the networking and the leadership experience I've had through my nonprofit work, I never would have expected. I didn't say I'm going to do this to get these things, but by opening yourself up to those opportunities, it opens you up to those options and I think enables some of that. So, Yeah. Uh, uh, amazing insights. Thank you very, very much for sharing that. Brian, before we wrap up, I wonder if you'd just take a minute and tell people how they can learn more about King's Crowd, the Crowdfunding Professional Association, how they can connect with you or follow you on social media so that uh, people uh, don't uh, have to satisfy themselves with just today's episode for their getting their full dose of uh, Brian Belay. I appreciate that opportunity. So best way to find me is probably just on LinkedIn. Um, you can find me under Brian Belay, B-E-L-L-E-Y. Our company, King's Crowd, is just at kingscrowd.com. So feel free to come. We have lots of tools and resources available for free to investors, but as we mentioned, also to founders. And then Crowdfunding Professional Association. Devin, you know, I've had the honor of serving with you uh, as a director on that board. And, you know, it's a great opportunity just right now in the industry to be able to have an impact on these companies and be able to make these investments. So definitely recommend everyone checks out the CFPA at cfpa.org as well. Well, Brian, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. We want to wish you every success as you continue your efforts to make a difference in the world through your investing and your work at King's Crowd. Thanks, Devin. All righty. Let's do some good. <laughs>